have felt that 1 Corinthians 14, let your women keep silence, is given to modify or qualify chapter 11 about praying and prophesying. They say this, women could pray and prophesy, but Paul didn't want them to think they could do it in the church, so he said, let them be silent in the church. They can pray and prophesy elsewhere. That's one possibility. Others have felt that, they, that 1 Corinthians 11 qualifies the other. That women should in general be silent in the church, but with this qualification, they can pray and prophesy if their heads are covered. No one can say with certainty how the two passages are to be reconciled, in my opinion. Now, if you say you know for sure, that's fine. More power to you. I have, I've, I've thought about this a great deal. I've read a great deal about it. I don't know more than some people do on it. But I will say this. It does appear to me that Paul did allow women to speak in the churches in some form. I do, at my, on balance, I believe the evidence is best that when Paul said that women could pray and prophesy with their head covered, he meant in the church meeting. Now, he doesn't say so in 1 Corinthians 11, but I think he meant it because when he does talk about prophecy in chapter 14, he says that prophecy is for the edification of the church. So it would, one would expect that if one were going to prophesy, it would be for the edification of the church, and it would be best if it did in a church meeting, I suppose. Maybe not. Maybe Paul knew something I don't know and something different. I will say one thing interesting, and, and that is that Paul stayed in the house of Philip the evangelist, who had four daughters who prophesied, and yet when God had a word for Paul, the four daughters didn't prophesy to him. Agabus came while he was staying in that house and bound himself with Paul's girdle and said, Thus shall the man who owns this girdle be bound by the Jews when he comes to Jerusalem. Fascinating. Paul was staying for a while in this home. There were four prophetesses there, but when a word was to be brought to Paul, a man named Agabus came and gave it to him, not the, not the four prophetesses. Now, if women were to prophesy outside the church at the home, for example, that would have been the perfect occasion for them to do it. He, you know, he was living in the same house with those prophetesses, and they never, as far as we know, prophesied to him. I don't know if that's you know, relevant to the issue of what should be done in the church. The point I'm making is there is a great deal of unclarity about this particular passage. Enough, in my opinion, to preclude any of us being too dogmatic about what women can or cannot do from this passage alone. There are other passages like that in 1 Corinthians 11 that have to be considered. I would say, however, I don't like to ignore any passage, certainly, and I do believe that we can't act as if it is not there. But I do believe we have to realize that whatever view we take of it, there are some other intelligent people, many of them godly evangelicals, who disagree with whatever view we take. Here's what my approach to that passage would be, to 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 37. I would affirm the elements of the passage that find confirmation in the rest of Scripture and leave the rest undecided. I, I mean, the things that I don't know what they mean, I just won't pretend like I know what they mean. One thing we can affirm is that women should retain a quiet, if not entirely mute, demeanor in the church gatherings. That agrees not only with what Paul says in that passage, but with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, and also 1 Peter 3, 4, that women should have a meek and quiet spirit as their ornament. So, I mean, that women should retain a quiet demeanor is certainly, certainly something we can get from that passage. It may say more than that, but it certainly doesn't say less than that. Secondly, that women's demeanor at church as elsewhere should convey the fact that they are subordinate to their own husbands. That agrees with Paul's concerns in 1 Corinthians 11. It agrees with his concerns throughout the rest of his writings, it seems to me, and Peter's in 1 Peter chapter 3. That is to say... Whatever else it may mean, it certainly means this, that the women in the church should be modest, humble, quiet, 
submissive to their husbands, and all their behavior should be governed by those rules. Uh, I believe that if a woman attends a particular assembly that doesn't let women speak at all, that shouldn't be a problem. Now, you might think that's easy for me to say because I get to talk a lot in our church. But I'll tell you the truth, and I tell you very honestly, I've been in churches that, that didn't let me speak. No problem. If I feel God's led me to go to a particular church, I feel that he wants me to just comply with whatever it is that they, whatever their policies are, unless they're ghastly policies. Uh, there's plenty of places women can speak outside the church. And, and uh, I, I'm not saying a church necessarily has to have the policy that women can't speak. That's not my position. But if a woman is attending a church where that is the, the position of the church, I don't think it should be a big problem unless she's ambitious. I don't think ambition is a good attitude for anyone, male or female. That woman who said, I won't be a Christian because I as a woman can't rise to the top of the ladder or the totem pole or whatever. I think, man, I don't want anyone in leadership in any group I attend who has that attitude. I don't care if they're a man or a woman. Anyone who says, I won't be here unless I can be boss, get me as far from that church as I can get. I don't want men or women in that role over me. If that attitude is there. Now, let me close, which probably by the clock should indicate I should have done that a long time ago, and maybe by other considerations too. Uh, let me close by saying affirmatively what the Bible says women do do, what their ministry is or can be. I mean, if the women are not supposed to talk a lot in the church meetings, that, that shouldn't be a problem. There's plenty for the women to do that's every bit as useful, if not more so. First of all, she can be a wife to her husband and mother to her children. Oh, just that? Yeah, just that. That's the principal thing that women apparently are called to do. Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, I will that the young women marry, guide the house, rear children, and give no occasion for the word of God to be reproached or for the enemy to speak reproachfully. Uh, he apparently felt that when women begin to move out of that God-ordained role, uh, there is always the greater danger that the word of God may be reproached. It certainly has been in our society. And guess what? Maybe no connection, but women have certainly moved out of that role. We certainly have a lot of reproach in the Word of God right now in our, the modern church. There's much in the New Testament to argue that a woman's primary role in most cases. Now, Paul acknowledges some women remain virgins to serve God in other ways, but in most cases, a woman's primary role is as a wife and a mother. In fact, the very passage in 1 Timothy, I don't let a woman teach or have authority over man, but it says, but she shall be saved in childbearing. In other words, in motherhood, in the role of motherhood, she will work out her salvation as men work out their salvation in whatever roles God calls them to. Another thing women can do besides being wives and mothers is, according to Scripture, she can pray and prophesy. If her submission is proper, in 1 Corinthians 11, we read that. Those are good things. Prophecy, Paul indicated prophecy is the most elevated and desirable of all the gifts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Desire the best gifts, especially prophecy. He said, anyone who prophesies edifies the church. Paul said, that's what you want. He says, I would that you all spoke in tongues, but more, that you'd prophesy. So, I mean, prophecy is one of the most desirable gifts, and it is not withheld from women. Paul says she can pray, she can prophesy. Those are good. Prayer, is that powerful or what? I think, uh, I think women are, are given all the powerful stuff to do, uh, at least not withheld from them. It's not exclusively for them to do, but they're not, as women, excluded from it. A third thing, 
if she has teaching abilities. See, some people say, well, Steve, how can you say that a woman shouldn't be the elder of the church when she might be the best teacher in the church? Well, there might be a lot of good women who, who can teach well. I hope so, because Paul said that women should teach other women. I hope that he gives teaching gifts to some of them. It says in Titus chapter 2 that the older women should admonish the younger women. And it's not just, you know, in short sound bites, but to teach them how to love their husbands, love their children, you know, manage the house, and a whole bunch of other practical stuff that takes a lot of teaching and training. And people don't know those things instinctively. And the older women are supposed to teach those things according to Titus 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. Also, women can teach men. Outside of the, the church, apparently, in unofficial settings with their husbands, we have at least the example of Priscilla and Aquila given in, in Acts chapter 18. Now, these people were Paul's fellow workers in Corinth and in Ephesus. They were close to him. They risked their necks, he said in Romans 16, for him. And he, they were very close workers. They certainly knew Paul's policies. But when Apollos came to Ephesus, he, his doctrines were not quite right. And it says that Priscilla and Aquila took him aside, apparently in their home, not in the church meeting, and they, plural, instructed him more perfectly in the ways of God. Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife team, not in a church meeting, did instruct a man, not just a man, a teacher, a preacher. And he received it from them. Apparently he didn't think they were out of order in doing that. So a woman is capable of teaching if she's capable of teaching, but... It's a question is who is she supposed to teach and in what settings. That's the issue. Finally, what a woman can do, and this is the positive of what a woman can do in terms of ministry, is she can occupy the loftiest of all offices in the church, the office of a slave or a servant. Now, that might sound like a bunch of chauvinistic double talk, but it's, it's what the Bible teaches. He that would be chief among you must be the servant of all. And he who be the greatest must be the slave of all. If somebody thinks that the way up is up, they're in the wrong organization. And anyone who thinks that by saying women cannot be an authority over men, they're holding women down. That's what they keep saying. The church holds women down. Down? Do these people believe what Jesus said or do they, or, or do they just ignore it? These people who are pushing for more exalted positions for women or for themselves or their men. They don't understand Christianity. And it's just as well that people who don't understand Christianity don't get into leadership in Christianity, I'd say. The less they understand Christianity, the further from leadership they should be kept. The role of a servant is the exalted position. Let me show you what Paul said that a woman can do. Now, I don't know if women like this. If they're carnal, they won't, I don't suppose, but... To me, if I were a woman seeking to be a handmaid of the Lord, I'd be very glad for this kind of instruction. He's writing about widows and how the church should support older widows uh, who can't remarry or won't remarry because they're committed to just serving God. But not every older woman, not every older widow was to be accepted in this particular elite number. And in 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, he, in, in writing, he, he writes the qualifications for these widows like he writes the qualifications for elders in an earlier chapter. But he says these women must be well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That's what she's supposed to be. That's, now, realize these are older widows, over 60 years old. 
a younger woman who might hope to someday be admitted into this elite corps would say, well, how do I get there from here? Well, I'll tell you what, when you're over 60, they're going to look at see whether you wash the saints' feet, whether you relieve the afflicted, whether you're busy with every good work, whether you, you know, uh, whatever these other things are, you lodge strangers, reared children. This is the servant role that these women have accepted before they're accepted into the role of godly uh, widowhood. Now, I want to say that the attitudes of self-promotion, of discontent with one's calling, and of envy, class envy of other groups, is these are attitudes that are not very appropriate for Christians of either gender. And it was Eve's discontent and envy of God that caused her to get into a lot of trouble. And uh, we know that. Because God had given her everything a person could want, but he would withheld one thing. And the devil got her thinking about that one thing. You can't do that. And that was what she, she became discontent with that and got herself and us into a lot of trouble. You know, when you think about it, God has given women a lot of great things to do. Even when it comes to teaching, they can teach other women. They can teach children. Timothy was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And he was taught in the scriptures. He's known the scriptures from his childhood because his mother and his grandmother taught him that. There's no forbidding of women to teach children. Think about that. A woman teaching children, she's teaching boys and girls. She's teaching men of the next generation. She, I mean, if Paul didn't think women were to be trusted because they were going to be deceived or something, he better not turn them loose on the next generation of Christian men to teach them from childhood up. That's what the Roman Catholic Church wants. Give me a child till he's seven and you can have him the rest of the time. You, you give... You put an impressionable little child in the hands of a teacher and you've you know, marked his life for good. And yet, Paul had no problem with the women taking that role. Women can... That's three-quarters of the world's population. Women and children, three-quarters of the world's population they can teach. But if he says, I don't let them teach or have authority over men, some women say, why not that too? It's not enough to have all these trees over here. Why not that tree also? Better to not ask those questions. Frankly, and I'm not just saying just shut up and don't ask questions. I'm just saying better for your spiritual life, men and women, to not say, why has God only given me all of this and he hasn't also given me that there, whatever that might be. That is not a healthy position for a Christian to be thinking, I think. I'd like to close with a a quote that I give frequently when I teach on this subject because it's so choice. It's from Elizabeth Elliot. Um, she wrote it as a letter to the editor in Christianity Today after they'd had an issue advocating women, ordination of women in ministry and so forth. She um, obviously doesn't agree with that. Those of you who know of Elizabeth Elliot, uh, I don't think she really needs any introduction to most Christians, but she wrote a letter to the editor of Christianity Today and she wrote these words, Leadership for the Christian means servanthood. Fulfillment for the Christian is not an achievement but a byproduct of self-denial. True liberation for the Christian woman is not a right, but a reward of humble obedience. Wouldn't the unutterably boring woman's issue dissolve into nothingness if all of us, men and women alike, would forsake the power struggle and follow him who did not count equality a thing to be grasped at, but stripped himself of all privilege and humbled himself even to the point of dying, unquote. That is 
that, that may not be a rebuke to most of the Christian women in this group, but it certainly is a rebuke to those who are uh, uh, chafing under biblical roles. Now, I hope that I did not make it sound like men have a more desirable position than women in the church. I personally don't believe that is the case. Maybe some, women, maybe some men would like the man's role better than I do. Um, some men, I guess, like to take charge. I've always had to be forced to do that. I don't like it. And I just assumed someone else did it. But uh, the man has responsibilities. The woman has responsibilities. But the responsibilities of each are defined in Scripture. And it doesn't do any good to go saying, I wish it was this way or that way, or I wish it was otherwise, or our culture doesn't agree with this or that. Who cares what the culture agrees with? We have to decide, are we going to go with what God said and be the body of Christ expressing the holiness of God in the way that he commanded us? Or are we going to tinker with it and see if we can fix it, improve it? I'd certainly advocate that we don't do that because I don't think we can improve on God's model. And I think that the modern church exhibits characteristics of what happens when people do just that. They tamper and tinker and change and improve on what God said. It's not an improvement. It brings a reproach to the gospel.